Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 89. I'm Kip Clark. And I'm Caroline Borders. And today, as the title of this episode suggests, we are going to be reacting to another commencement speech given by David Foster Wallace to the graduating class of Kenyon College, where we currently attend, in 2005. And Caroline, as you mentioned in episode 87, I do have an affinity for commencement speeches, perhaps an unhealthy one, but I did feel a strong attachment to this speech, one, because it was delivered at our alma mater, and two, because much like Jim Carrey's speech or David McCullough's when we reviewed that a year ago, I think there was not only profound insight, but uncommon wisdom that we might not find in the typical, somewhat boring or banal commencement speeches given by various other speakers, celebrities, etc. around the globe and across the country. Did you have a similar reaction to his speech? I've heard this speech a few times now, especially being Kenyan students. I feel like in a lot of my classes, it's been mentioned and discussed in various contexts, and it does resonate with me in a lot of ways. I think it's really special to most Kenyan students, not only because it took place here, but also because of its really profound message about the human condition and how we relate to one another or don't relate to one another in the real world. I'm using air quotes there as David Foster Wallace also uses. And he has a few focal points throughout his address to the graduating class, one of which, because Kenyon is a liberal arts institution, hones in on the value of a liberal arts education. And I've had various conversations with you and others in these weeks before we graduate about the concern related to that degree, because it is not a business degree. It is not a marketing or an accounting degree. It does not promise any clear career path. But as Wallace points out, the value of a liberal arts education is that it teaches you how to think. And he emphasizes those words and that point throughout his speech. And I would really love to know how you felt about that idea. I do think a liberal arts education teaches us how to think. And how David Foster Wallace talks about it is this idea that we learn what to think about. That is so true. Maybe it doesn't teach us the right way to think, but it definitely teaches us this particular way of thinking, which is holistic and touches different disciplines and fields and perspectives. For example, one class, I'll talk about Freud and it'll champion Freud. And the next class I go to, it'll be like, Freud's the worst. And maybe I'm more on the edge of the spectrum that's like, Freud's the worst, but I'm still getting the other perspective at the same time. And that allows me and has allowed me throughout my education here to open my eyes and ears and everything so that I'm a lot more aware of what's around me, especially in an intellectual sense. And I think what his speech touches on is how we should be aware at a even more fundamental human sense. And it's hard to say that I haven't gotten some of that perspective in a lot of my classes, especially I find in my anthropology classes. But had I majored in something else, who knows? What did you think? I agree with your perspective. I do feel, especially in more politically charged or socially charged issues, the conversation tends not to be very two-sided. And I recognize that people have their convictions, their emotional and political allegiances, but I think it's healthy, as I believe Wallace argues, to challenge that. Whether you agree with what the other side is saying, at least allow yourself to be open to their interpretations. And I also think, as it relates to this podcast, that the mentality of a liberal arts education does encourage you to see things in a new perspective. For example, we've had conversations about criminality and milk and improv 
and race and certain political candidates, and Barbie and water consumption in our world, none of which are inherently related, but all of which deal with the world we live in and looking at it in a new way. And I would argue, as I've often failed to articulate to would-be fans of this podcast, that the podcast, much like a liberal arts education, is not about what you're thinking about, but it's about how you think. There isn't a clear topic or focal point. It is about the user, the thinker, the mental acrobatics and changes of direction that one might go through in opening one's mind and one's belief system to new ideas, which admittedly can be uncomfortable. And I certainly don't want to come across as someone who's been open to every new idea or thought, although I would like to be. And I do think Kenyon in particular has challenged me to be. And Wallace notes that the liberal arts are important not only in teaching you how to think, but as a beautiful byproduct of that education, how also to avoid comfortable, monotonous patterns of thought, which ironically are unthinking, unconscious, and work against critical and reflexive processes. I'd be curious to know, in these days before we do graduate, if, despite our liberal arts education, you still find yourself in certain unthinking or unconscious routines in your life, especially as they might relate to this liberal arts college from which you and I are about to graduate. It's not so much that we don't have routines in college. It's more like they're different routines. We don't have to buy food, but we go and eat food every day. I know many people that have said they have group chats with their friends that are entitled when's dinner because the only thing they talk about in that group chat is when are we going to dinner? Where are we going to sit? All right, I'll meet you there at six. Then after dinner, it's going to the library. And I notice for myself certain routines that won't function in the real world, such as my sleeping habits. I normally stay up exceptionally late at night. And if I have a nine to five job in the real world, that's not going to fly. And college affords me the luxury to make routines that way, to have my entire world revolving around my own schedule that isn't really dependent on other people, except for the obligation I have to go to class out of respect for professors. But honestly, that's contingent on me. That's not really contingent on my professor making me go to class. And otherwise, it's completely self-centered. I feel like in a lot of ways, accountability will be a new thing in the real world for a lot of people because of this idea that it's much more uniform in terms of routines, where my class schedule is now different from all my friends' class schedules. Suddenly, everyone I am a coworker with potentially will have the same routine as me, and therefore I will be held accountable in a different way. And I think accountability is a really beautiful term there. One, because it is a valuable principle to maintain. But secondly, that I feel Wallace points to personal, intellectual, and emotional accountability as very important ideas. Because only you will be able to monitor at the end of the day how you are thinking, how you are feeling. And that is one of the difficulties in this world that we live in, in our lives, because most of us don't have someone constantly checking up on us. And that is rather unfortunate on some levels, but also it allows the individual a tremendous amount of freedom and independence. And I think Wallace is concerned with how people might squander that independence in giving in to the mundane, the boring, the repetitive aspects of life which is very understandable. And I've noticed myself on very brief breaks from our college experience as it comes to an end, where I do fall into a very boring routine. I don't get much done. And although I may not be unhappy, my general state of being is somewhat lethargic and very unproductive. 
And one of the most provocative ideas that Wallace points out is that you get to choose how you're going to see it. The world may not make itself a better place. These difficulties and trivial, frustrating, annoying aspects of our lives, such as going to a grocery store where everything seems contrived to work against us, these things may not vanish or dissipate, but he continues to reiterate that our perspective can change, that the way we approach these scenarios and engage with them both emotionally and thoughtfully can alter our aspect in a very profound, and I think he would contend, a woefully uncommon way. This is the part of the speech that really resonates with me, and I think about it constantly. Not constantly, but it's very applicable in almost any situation where if you're in a routine, whether that means walking to class or getting food at dinner or in the grocery store, you, especially on a college campus, will see people you know or see people you don't know. And sometimes people look like they're having a terrible time or sometimes you'll say hi to someone you know and they won't see you and they'll keep going by and it's so easy to take moments like that personally. And this is when, especially in the later years of my college career, where freshman year, this would bother me a lot. I'd see people I know and they would just walk right by me and I'd be like, well, I guess they don't like me anymore or something silly like that. Now, the thing I immediately go to is I don't know what's going on with them. I don't know what's happening in their life. I don't know if they're having a bad day or if they just didn't see me. I don't know. That's one of the most important points about this is water. You don't know what other people's water is like. You don't know other people's environments. And you have your own and maybe you know your own. You know your own water. But the invisible, the sometimes impenetrable parts of people's everyday lives that you don't understand and you will never get to see are things that are constantly needed to be up for consideration in everyday moments. And I think what he's really eliciting here is compassion. Putting yourself in another person's shoes, you have no idea what they're going through. And it would make an otherwise unpleasant experience like grocery shopping during rush hour potentially one that's easier for everyone. And I don't disagree with your point that he champions compassion, but to me the phrase this is water and the anecdote describing fish that precedes that statement gets at the idea that we don't know our own water. And I'm glad that you point out that we don't know other people's quote-unquote water, but as I've often reflected in countless conversations with you and with other people on this campus or elsewhere in my life, there are ways that I'm behaving, forces affecting me, that I might not acknowledge or be aware of, and it's so easy to get caught into that default setting, as he puts it, and to be unaware. It's easy, most of us do it, and I don't think he's criticizing those of us who do, but rather encouraging people caught in that rut to be more considerate of their actions, their influences, and especially what is influencing them. Because as powerful as the individual is, we live in a very complex and rather ideologically crowded world where it's hard to be alone with just your thoughts. Exactly. And I think that's where, in some ways, the critique of a liberal arts education could come in because it is so focused on outward perspectives, how you think about something, but then also how all these other people think about it and how that might shape your perspective. But then it's not always that inward focused and you're not always thinking about the influences that are affecting you, changing the way you act, changing your personal awareness of yourself. 
So while you may have all these great thoughts about other subjects and ideals or philosophies, it doesn't necessarily cause you to always be the most self-aware. It could make you even less self-aware because suddenly you feel entitled by all this intellectual knowledge that you have. I know sometimes we feel like we're on our high horse because we're so intellectually enlightened. But at the end of the day, that doesn't always make us the most inwardly aware of who we are either. And Wallace does acknowledge as I should be more apt to do his tendency to overthink things. And despite the positive influences of the liberal arts, the inherent effect they have in encouraging at times degrees of overthinking and over-intellectualizing every aspect of your life rather than being present of this moment of how you are feeling and also how the world around you is behaving. And as a final point of discussion, he notes towards the end similar dangers, not in the liberal arts mentality, but outside of the open-minded and thoughtful behaviors that the liberal arts cultivate. He notes the dangers of worshiping money, power, the body, and the intellect, not as inherent evils, but forms of becoming unconscious and complicit in certain ways. And I would really love to know what you thought about that section of his speech. Well, I think what he's saying there is that the more you worship money, material things, the more you'll want of it and you'll never be happy. You'll never be satisfied. And the more you worship your body, that will only lead to it remaining ugly and fixating on it and fixating on these things in your life that maybe you have or don't have and you want more and more of it. And that at the end of the day just leads you to focus on things that don't really matter in the long run. If you're focusing on how much money you have and what your body looks like, it's all about societal norms and societal ideals when if you're just focusing on yourself and asking yourself, are you happy? Am I happy? Am I present in this moment? Am I not thinking too much about how happy I am and what does that mean? And oh my God, will I not be happy tomorrow because I don't have all this stuff? And oh my God, maybe I ate too much today and I'm going to just fixate on my body, etc. Then you're ignoring important aspects of your heart and your soul and your mind that are removed from the physical things in the world. Which reminds me of Jim Carrey's commencement address that we spoke about two weeks ago, in which he says that at the end of your life, all that will be left is what was in your heart. All of the material pursuits you have and all that you've acquired, and he's not the first to say this, nor is Wallace, will vanish. They will dissipate. Your life and legacy will not be the size of the house that you had. It will be the influence that you had on other people and ultimately on yourself. And so I thoroughly agree with Wallace in saying that that worship is dangerous. And I think especially so because it prizes an arrogance, a confidence in something that you do not deserve to have because you've stopped questioning things. You've started to believe only one thing and therefore you've shut out all other possibilities, which is intellectually and I would say personally and spiritually very dangerous because you limit your future capabilities. You're saying that I'm only going to adopt this many ideas when I could adopt far more, but it's more comfortable to stay in my very small box and ultimately your growth as a person will be determined by that choice. And I would close by saying that Wallace acknowledges how hard those choices are, but encourages the audience and us through this video to remain vigilant and aware of the influences and forces at work around us. But before we close this episode, what are some things you would like the audience to consider? 
I think the main thing is what I was saying earlier, because it's so easy to do. It's so easy in a situation where you find yourself annoyed or irritated to just take a step back and say, I don't know their situation. I don't know what they're dealing with. I don't know what they're going through. I don't know. You don't know. And I think that can be so helpful and relieving in times of stress or uncertainty. And I know that might sound simple, but that's really helped me a lot and it could help you as well. And I would encourage the audience to think about phenomena at play that they might not be aware of and be actively critical of the ways in which you live your life and encourage other people to join in that conversation with you and help you evaluate the world we live in, the world you share with them, if not on a personal level, on a more societal or cultural level, because all of that will help you in the long run, I believe. But of course, as always, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. Ours are only two voices, and we would very much love to hear from you. So if you have any comments, feedback, or input of any kind, please reach out to us. You can connect with us via Twitter or Facebook, where you can like our page and get updates when we post new episodes. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to as well as reviewing the show and sharing it with someone you think might also enjoy it or get something out of it. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off. And this is Caroline Borders. We'll see you next time.